Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another Brew Theology podcast. This is Ryan Miller. Today's episode, we are back in Redondo Beach, California, live at the Theology Beer Camp with Homebrew Christianity. Thank you so much, Trip Fuller, having the opportunity now to interview Christian Pyatt from the Homebrew Christianity Culture Cast, also the author of many books, including his latest, Leaving a Holiness Behind. That's right, A Holiness. Also, along with Christian, we have Professor Adam Clark from Xavier University. If you like this episode or any of our episodes from Theology Beer Camp, such as John Cobb, Barry Taylor, or any of our other communal gatherings where we talk about all kinds of fun stuff, make sure you go on iTunes and give us a rating. Five Star would be fantastic. Share that on Twitter. You know, why not Instagram? Do that as well. Maybe take a picture of yourself with your earbuds listening to the Brute Theology Podcast. Go on Facebook and share that as well. That's how we get more listeners and give you guys some good stuff to think about during the week. Speaking of good stuff to talk about during the week, we're excited that we have some people out in New Jersey. That's right. Jersey's a cool place. I used to live out there. And they are going to start a Brute Theology Jersey chapter. Very excited about that. Uh, so all you got to do is email me at ryan at brewtheology.org, or you can email Janelle at brewtheology.org and say, hey, we want to do this. We're interested. What's the next step? We'll send you a leadership manual. We'll set out, sit down and have a conference call with Zoom, maybe Skype if you like Skype better, and then we'll go from there. So go to our website at brewtheology.org. And check out uh, the different ways in which you can partner. If you want to donate, if you're a listener who, man, you just like what we do and this is cool stuff, go to that donate button and you can go on Patreon. Here's the fun thing. There's actually there's an incentive for pretty much everything you do from $1 a month and up. Uh, we'll even send you stuff in the mail. So go to that page. Look at the incentives. You can be a monthly contributor as well. Or, you know what, you can just be somebody who says, hey, I like Brew Theology, so I'm going to retweet your stuff on the interwebs. So thank you guys very much for your support, and we want to keep brewing theology in different communities across the nation. So uh, check it out. Use social media. We love it, and we love you. Peace. All right, friends, welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. I'm Ryan Miller, and today I'm with a few friends. We have Richard, Janelle, Dan. Richard's not here, but he is here. Yeah, we have <laughs> Professor Adam Clark and uh, author Christian Pyatt. So uh, we can just jump in anywhere. I mean, we're, well, our group is typically used to just brewing theology with people who are both like-minded and completely unlike-minded, if that's even a word. Uh, you guys have some, some specific work, particular kind of kind of theology and practical theology, uh, that you are doing, and uh, what we do is we just drink beer and like to talk to people. So thank <laughs> yeah. you guys for being on the show. All right, so uh, Christian, let's start with you since you're uh, here to my right. So you just recently wrote a book, Leaving a Holiness, a Holiness Behind. So clever. You've also written Blood Doctrine. Yeah. You're uh, the host, you and your wife, of Homebrew's Culture Cast. Yep. And she's the pastor, and you're just the a-hole. That's right. That, yeah. That's a full-time job. I, uh, I make a vocation of it. Uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> the, the idea behind the, the title was uh, when I was uh, in, in grade school, and I was raised Southern Baptist. Same here. Yeah. And so the, the most important thing, the prime mover, was notches in your belt, souls into heaven. Right at Not all the kind costs. of notches that 
No, the different kind of notches. Yeah, yeah well, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spiritual notches. Uh, <laughs> salvation notches. Not like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and trust me, I totally struck out in high school for that. I was at an all-boys school anyway, so you know, it just didn't work out. But uh, <laughs> about half the student body was Jewish, and so I thought, wow, what a mission field, right? I have all these people to convert. Convert all of God's chosen. <laughs> all of God's their- chosen to the right religion. Yes. And so uh, I, you know, I, would, I would have these friends and I would try to convert them. And most of them would just tell me to piss off. Well, this one guy was really uh, cool about it. He was uh, from a very observant Jewish family, uh, and I, you know, I said, well, "Yo, you sick? Do you you got to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior." And he's like, "He said, well, what do you mean by that?" And I'm like, uh, "You got to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior." I don't know. They didn't give me the next line. <laughs> um, you know, I want you to go to heaven. I don't want you to go to hell, and all this. And he's like, "Well, see, in the Jewish tradition, we have Shoal, and we don't really believe in the same kind of thing." as you guys do. And, and like he started, we just kind of started talking and I realized he knew a whole lot more about my faith than I knew about his. And that as we talked, like he understood Jesus in a way that really started to enrich my understanding. And I presumed that he needed something I had without even the prospect of being changed and enriched by my experience with him. And I realized, wow, I'm a real dick. Uh, and, and what I have, what I think I have to offer, I don't even really understand. And, and it's, I'm seeing it from this, well, what I now understand was this sort of colonial, uh, imperialist, uh, you know, a Christian perspective of privilege and the assumption that everybody needs what I've got. And so I realized I got to change this. I got to really change this. And as I've learned over the years that that is a systemic issue, which I talk about in the book, from the cliches that we say from day to day to the way we teach our kids how to be little assholes to the history from Constantine to Joel Osteen. Hope you don't have a lot of Osteen fans in your podcast. It was a nice rhyme. Yeah, yeah, right. Constantine to Joel Osteen. They just just love the smile. Yes, the big smile. I like the hair product. I'm jealous. Uh, But but anyway, how we got to this place uh, and what we can do to to approach it differently. So, so what are some approaches that you would use with your children? I know the other day we were even talking about certain words that you use with your kids. That's that's a separate thing. How old are your children right now? Uh, eight and thirteen. Eight and thirteen. So yeah. you've got some some key developmental years going on right now. Yeah. Well, a couple of the things we do is one: no question is ever off limits. Some of the questions my son, who's Asperger's, has asked me is pretty chilling, actually. Mm. I was not ready to have that conversation, but I need to be ready Mm. whenever he has that question. Because if I want him to trust me when it really hits a fan, then he needs to know he can come to me Mm. any other time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other is uh, to be really honest with them. So uh, we don't try to create this facade of perfection and never disagreeing in front of our kids. And we may be, uh, we may stand behind each other, but it doesn't mean we always agree and that we feel like we have to create this facade in front of our kids. We have to model imperfection. 
I think that's one uh, that that is important. And that is something that we're trying to model through the church. We talk about we are imperfect people in an imperfect church trying our best from day to day to be more like Jesus in the world. Yeah. Uh, we don't try to we don't claim to be perfect. And that was one of the things that I realized that I hated so much about the inauthenticity of the church it was this facade, this veneer of perfection, which I knew was bullshit. And I didn't know how to put my finger on it. And what it covered up was this pervasive systemic and individual insecurity and fear of being found out. Like, well, why is it then that you want more people to come and be like you? They're going to figure out you're full of it. Yeah. So I have to start at home. So in that that model, you have to continue to like sort of make up this false self. That's right. So you're you're like, let's tear the whole thing down. There's a whole cognitive yeah. dissonance, so you got to yeah. d- get rid of all that. But then you got to figure out who the hell are you really? Yeah. Who are you? And so one of the things I figured out is I'm an asshole. And I'm an asshole in recovery. Just like addiction, you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. But hopefully you're in recovery. Mm-hmm. So I'm an asshole, but I'm working on it. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the key. You have to have the humility of being able to recognize that. If you ever think you are no longer an asshole – you're a big asshole. Yeah. That's when it gets really dangerous. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, yeah, so we need to make up a new confession, and you could sort of trademark copyright that. Bless me for I'm an asshole. I think yeah. that's one Is of the names of one of my chapters. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so, Professor. Yeah, we, Professor Adam here. It, do, yeah, Dr. Dr. Adam. So, Xavier University. That's right. Uh, systematic theology, black theology. Right. Uh, so, tell our listeners uh, – Specifically, like, so what, what is your specialty right now? What, what's the thing that uh, you wake up in the morning and you're excited to work on to teach your students, to mobilize them? Uh, well, right now, I've been thinking about the book I'm writing for the Homebrew series on salvation. And I ca- taught a course last semester. Um, talk- he taught a 90-minute course for us yesterday that was amazing. Uh, appreciate that. a lot of it. Yeah, it was called is Salvation. Christian Saved? Excuse me? Is Christian, is Christian saved? Christian is saved. Okay. All right. Fire <laughs> baptized, washed in the blood. Yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> so so um, it was called Salvation Reexamined. And um, that was that title, of course. Not the most, you know, exciting name, but it, it was accurate in terms of, like, what the course was trying to do. Um, and my starting point for reflection was my own Baptist heritage, about how salvation is equated with soul winning. It's about winning souls for Jesus Christ. And all my, pa- I should say all, but a lot of my pastor friends mark their pastoral success based on how many souls were saved. So what I wanted to do is a couple things. One is to talk about biblical salvation is more about this world than the other world. That's one. Uh, two is really try to expand the idea of the fall redemption paradigm, um, that it is about soul winning and talk about the plurality of metaphors for salvation within the biblical text to go from liberation, from bondage to liberation, from estrangement to reconciliation, um, the theme of enlightenment, um, grace and forgiveness, um, just to really talk about um, show that that salvation isn't just one thing, and the church doesn't have an official position on. Uh, there's no consensus position. The church hasn't had official position on salvation. They've had official positions on Jesus Christ, 
you know, the person of Jesus Christ, but not on salvation. It's not even in our creeds, which is really right. interesting to me. Yeah, 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 exactly. And even the kind of bumper sticker refrain that Jesus died for our sins, that there's a plurality of interpretations of how Jesus' death is redemptive. So I wanted to kind of first just show, give people what they see in plain sight, but show that there's a lot of kind of conflicts and complications in what people just say as bumper stick or Christian phrases, and then go to a constructive phase and talk about what's the nature of our time and how Christianity needs to be rethought in light of that. So the rethinking, you know, that I've done or I'm in the process of doing is really talking about our loves, like love is how our love flows or what I call desire. Like that what we desire has a lot to do and how we love has a lot to do with how we envision completeness and wholeness. And I want to understand Christianity as a technology or as a discipline of desire that teaches us to desire, give our hearts to God and to neighbor and to try to work toward a new set of right relationships. Right. And I want to contrast that versus our consumer capitalist society that restructures desires in ways that are much more materialistic and understand Christianity as a counter narrative, actually trying to take us from understanding that our life is more about prestige and money and talk about it as trying to fulfill our, uh, a new form of human community. So um, this idea of salvation or the reality of it is something that's it's hard to get a lot of old Southern Baptist and evangelicals away from, which is all of our heritage around the circle seemingly. Mm-hmm. Is, so you're, you're being saved from something towards something else. Right, yeah. right. And so in some sense, so there, there's almost like, so we talk, we can talk about the law, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, which Jesus was trying to get it in, in touch with his followers. Like the law is important, but there's a spirit of, I'm, I'm saving you from mm-hmm. this old way of thinking to mm-hmm. this new way of being. Mm-hmm. So can you just touch on some things within just the 21st century today, uh, the culture that we live in, the church culture and just the well, sometimes church culture doesn't understand the culture around it. The so what political situation what, that we find ourselves in on January uh, We had to bring uh, up yes. the one that shall not be I mentioned. To, there it is. There up. it is. I mean, we gotta we gotta be real. I mean, in your in your uh, in your lecture, you brought up a couple of questions, and and one of the questions was, what are the major crises that affect the world? Right. Right. And and salvation. Mm-hmm. Or our, our views of salvation have to speak to those crises. That's right. That's right. And, and I'd love right. to hear actually from, from both of you, um, Christian and Adam on, you know, how your, how your, uh, your views currently and, and your way of approaching theology speak to, to our current context. Um, you know, and our context is rapidly changing, right? Like that's part of, part of what, you know, in my earlier talk, I talked, I tried to define our current context as a post, post truth context. <laughs> that what happens is that the status of truth has been radically devalued where now a lot of what happens that's taken the place of our face-to-face connection has been placed by representations that we have representations and images that are replacing real genuine human connections. Um, there's a, there's a Jesuit who talks about it as the globalization of superficiality that no longer are we able to form meaning, that our capacity for encounter has been genuinely degraded. Um, and I think Christianity has to speak to that, but yet sometimes it kind of just conforms or gets co-opted by that. 
So part of the idea of kind of talking about a new circulation of, the, of, of, of our loves, I should say, if I want to use a more kind of religious language, is about trying to, t- trying to talk about how we encounter each other and God through human mediums, right? Like we don't have to talk about, at the end I talked about how we need to stop, not stop, but that the idea that God is somewhere up in the sky, right, as an object among other objects needs to be rethought. And perhaps a better way of thinking about God is the ground or our rootedness and that we encounter God in our capacity to encounter each other in depthful and meaningful ways. And that, that it's, that, that it's our rootedness in reality, kind of like what Bonhoeffer says that we need to throw ourselves into the world, into God's sufferings, right? To, to talk about the connection. That's where we meet God instead of trying to look at it vertically. And how do you get like a contemporary Christian culture that's pretty vast? In some ways, we all get into our own tribes. And I, I, I often forget my heritage, and I don't know if you guys do as well. That, that is the majority of our country, yeah. evidently, from, from, from the stats that we're, you know, that we're seeing and that we're hearing about. And so, um, I, yeah, that, this is, this is a, this is a tricky one. I mean, so, uh, so this salvation from the, from the ground up. To get people to move beyond Gnostic thinking and dualism. Uh, now, when I say salvation, I'm talking about not rescue. I'm yeah. talking about how we envision wholeness and completeness. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but I feel like I feel like the culture, the Christian culture, predominantly still lives in this this sort of duality, this Gnostic world. This here's the spirit, and it goes here, and so it really doesn't matter what happens on Earth. You hear people say this all the time. Well, yeah, God, yeah. I heard a pastor once say, "Well, it doesn't matter global warming, global cooling, yada yada. It's all going to blow up anyway." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Like yeah. I wanted to raise my hand and walk out, but I couldn't. It was an awkward moment. That's still a predominant But that's theology. a denial of the incarnation, though. Yeah. It's an absolute denial of the incarnation. That's not an incarnational theological understanding. That's a, that's a docetistic, which was seen as a heresy. Right? So you, you have to really tell people, let's go back in history. Yeah. And do you do you outline some of this in your book to say this is what it's looked like throughout history of salvation? Because some people, they've never really had even a, you know— Crash course or uh, history yeah, for dummies. Well, I would probably use, if I was talking to just lay folks, it's just, that's an over-spiritualization, yeah. right? Like that's more Plato than Jesus, yeah, right? Like that's not what Jesus, Jesus was incarnational, embodied. God became human for a reason, that the humanity of God we're speaking of, not just God that's outside of history, but God operating inside history. Yeah. So we have to talk about a God in historical affairs, right? That's what the God that Jesus worship was. It was inside history that the God that Moses worship was inside history, not mm-hmm. outside floating above. Yeah. And that's how we, you know, I usually talk to lay folks about um, the way God's activity in the world, that through historical affairs, God was operating through cultural affairs. God is operating to um, try to enhance life and fight death dealing ways. Yeah. So saving people <laughs> from their a holiness. Um, I was just, what I was hearing in you, you were talking about how we're replacing real relationship for kind of symbolic relationship. And then Christian, when you talked about how our inauthenticity becomes the facade that we live under, it just, it's so interesting to me that, that both of those things are happening in culture and in the church. And they're really fighting each other to try to figure out like which which one's true or how do we 
make ourselves authentic and vulnerable in a way that also represents who we are. I, there was always a narrative in my tradition of, well, don't be like the culture. That's why you have to be like this. And then what I hear kind of you saying is that if we're going to live out the incarnation, we've got to be kind of in the midst of all of this messiness in with our faith. And that's just, it's so diametrically opposed, like those two visions of what it looks like to live life. Right. But like Christians are called to be like salt of the earth, right? And salt is something that if you put salt in the meal, right, it affects the meal, but it's not affected. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so in a certain sense that you're, you're, you're called to actually be a, you know, change agent for God's kingdom or God's image of right relationship and not necessarily compromise with the, kind of the forces of um, darkness that may be opposed to that. You know, so, um, yeah, so it's in the world and not of it, right? Like our, 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 our source and our, our vitality should not be taken from the same sources that animate the world, right? And that's what, you know, our worship traditions try to, at, at their best, try to do. Christian, how do you think fear of the world kind of infecting us or messing us up has played into this a holiness that we end up living out. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of this can, can be traced back to a dissolution of relationship, a dissolution of community and, and really investing in one another as people uh, beyond some rhetorical pat cliche you know, or there is superficial thumbs up on Facebook or something like that. And we say that those are our friends. Uh, I'm sorry, but they're not. Um, and you know, to, to have a relationship that's only a mile wide and an inch deep is not enough, is not good enough, uh, to, to reflect the body of Christ in the world. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus didn't, didn't say go the extra inch. <laughs> um, it was a little more work than that. Uh, it was a little more of an investment. Uh, and, and, and really the interesting thing about that, although Walter Wink takes an interestingly subversive direction on the walking the second mile, cause it's a subversive of the powers of be, right? That ties in a liberation theology. But the other thing I think it's, it's, that's really interesting about it is if you walk, a second mile, that takes you even further away from where you started. You are intentionally going further away from where you started toward where they are going, right? And it's not that you tell them where you're going to go for two miles. It's wherever they're going, you go with them. And and so I talked uh, earlier about this willing uh, decentering and destabilizing of your own lo- your own access of power and privilege and control. And that you have to put yourself into a context of discomfort and destabilization. And I don't, uh, when I say destabilization, that sounds scary to people because we all, we aspire to this, this false ideal of stability, safety, security, and prosperity. It's a lie, right? And so uh, what we are called to is quite the opposite. And it doesn't mean martyrdom. It doesn't mean martyrdom, but what it means is having your priorities in order. And that relationship and that that acting in a a more fully realized, uh, more fully embodied. And when I say embodied, I just don't just mean incarnate, but like mind, body, spirit, holistic expression of love in the world. 
for yourself, for your brothers and sisters, for the earth, then flows through to an, an innate, uh, it, it, in itself is what God desires. And, and it is, a, at the risk of sounding like Jack Caputo, it is God's desire expressing itself. Uh, and this whole idea of, uh, yeah, that we, we've kind of become these platonic Hellenist <laughs> dualist thinkers that are byproducts of modernist thought. And we think that that's the original Christianity. We, we totally don't know where we came from. And so I do think that this historic, uh, you know, uh, intellectual rigor is, is absolutely helpful. But at the same time, I think, uh, it, we have to come from it by dislocating ourselves from the axes of privilege and power from which we tend so often to try and operate without risk. In the last five minutes we have, how do we bring that conversation into a church that sometimes right now will say, oh, so you're telling me I have biases I don't acknowledge. You're just liberal. You're listening to the wrong news feed. You're just overreacting. BuzzFeed, is that what you're talking about, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was CNN. Aren't that's they? right. Fake news. Fake news. Um, Fake news. That's right. But so how do we... What are the starting places to try to cross that divide and have these really complicated conversations with yeah. people that uh, I just had this conversation with someone this week and I kept saying, what source can I use? He kept telling me, well, you're wrong. That's liberal. You're out of line. What source can I use? Strangely enough, he never answered my question and then just went off on something else. So how do we do this? How do we start to do that. I know we talked about this a little yeah. on your podcast. Well, first of all, you have to give up on the misconception that the old, the end game is about winning and being right, right. And that your job is to convince them to think more like you. That's on us, right? right. Um, and that uh, the relationship and being changed by the other, being me being changed by a Trump supporter. Sorry, I said the name. Voldemort, Voldemort, right? Yes. Being changed by a Voldemort supporter, uh, it, it can be as beneficial to me or more so, just like me engaging my friend Tony, who is Jewish, uh, to be surprised by grace breaking in in the most unexpected places. We have no trust in God's spirit. We have no trust anymore in God's spirit to work through relationship, I, I'm afraid. And, and that we are so hung up on the otherness. Uh, and that that fear comes from a, a lack of engagement on a meaningful level and investment in other people. The, the reality is that, that a lot of people simply aren't ready to have that conversation. And the really the presumption that you have to go into their church to have that discussion already creates some challenges, I think, in a lot of ways of readiness. Um, and so if you can, can create third spaces and that, oh, uh, to neutralize, space? yes, where, where would that be? like a pub or a coffee oh, house or something like that. I imagine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think that that's one thing. Uh, the, the other thing is to presume that there's probably something about which you're not entirely right. Uh, or that you don't see the entire elephant, so to speak, that proverbial blind people around the elephant. Just because they see the elephant differently doesn't mean it's not elephant, right? Uh, and and to, to approach it with that humility and to focus on story. As I talked about yesterday, 
no one argues with your story. Your story isn't wrong. It may not be factually true, but it is sacred to you and your account. And I think if, if you focus on a story and you focus on listening to their stories, that is where you start. And things grow naturally from there. Yeah, and that's a, a great place to end. We have a last word, and then we got to wrap it up. Oh, so how? how oh, how? I, look, I'll say it really quickly. Um, when you're talking to someone who you know you politically or ideologically disagree with, just go to Matthew 25 and say, "Does your perspective square with Matthew 25?" <laughs> right? Because I think this is going to be a you know, as we said, we're in a post-truth situation where the status of truth is being devalued. What I like to talk about is principles and not the actual policy. And and do it very Socratically and have them just reflect that back to them and not even argue and say, if you think this is if you think this has integrity in relationship to this scripture or relationship to the Sermon on the Mount or any type of principle that you want to draw from, then support it. But if it doesn't, then you need to really rethink this. Thank you guys so much. So if anybody wants to find you online or on Amazon or where, where can they go? Uh, well, uh, Christian Pyatt is my handle on almost everything. Instagram, Twitter. You can search Christian Pyatt on Facebook. Uh, my uh, new publishing company is Crowdscribed. You can find me there. Uh, we do crowd publishing, we call it. Uh, you can find my books, Leaving a Holiness Behind, Post-Christian, Blood Doctrine. Got a new series coming out, my most ambitious work this fall, starting this fall. Uh, with Fortress Press, more on that soon. And uh, yeah, I'm not too hard to find if you want. If you want to avoid me, that's a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's P-I-A-T-T. Correct. Two T's, Christian Pyatt. Yes, thank you. All right. Um, Adam Clark, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at A-D-M Clark. You can find me on Instagram. At, how'd, you, how'd you get that handle? You were like one of the first ones. I don't know. That's impressive. At... at Adam CLK on Instagram, and you can email me at clarkadam at xavier.edu, clarkadam at xavier.edu. And be looking for Adam's book when? Oh, I, we, I don't have a release date right now, but probably late, late 2017 or early 2018, not sure. Yeah, just keep an eye at uh, Homebrew Christianity. Great. All right, cheers, everybody. Take care. Thanks.